All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we're catching up on some Friday news, recapping the Falcons, re-signing of Bleedy Ray Wilson, talking about sort of their plans this offseason at cornerback, as well as talking about the Falcons getting two compensatory picks in this year's 2019 NFL Draft. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day all right guys you know me i'm aaron freeman been covering the falcons for many years over at falcons.com on twitter at falcons and of course the host of this locked on falcons podcast today we're going to be talking about our boy the man known as bleedy ray he has been re-signed to a one-year contract extension we'll sort of talk about why and how what that sort of signals to what the falcons may or may not do at the cornerback position um, and we'll also sort of talk a little bit about maybe their offseason plans and, and sort of how that relates to what they may or may not do in the draft and, um, you know, talk a little bit about the pass rush and, and those types of things. And we'll also talk about the Falcons getting some comp picks, uh, compensatory draft picks uh, due to the losses of Don Terry Poe and Taylor Gabriel last offseason uh, in this upcoming year's draft at the towards the end of the show. Uh, before we get into the Bleedy Ray discussion, I do want to make two points. If you did not know, there is content at FileFans.com again. So that is a website that you do want to start visiting on a regular basis. I will do my best to sort of plug uh, upcoming content and, and current content on the website on this podcast. Uh, for those of you that are not necessarily, you know, making your homepage on your web browser, FileFans.com, which I would, of course, recommend everybody doing but um, that being said uh, there is a seven round mock draft where I basically go through all nine of the Falcons draft picks and project some players um, that I think the Falcons could wind up targeting uh, and that's our currently up at FileFans.com you can also check out a leftover mailbag if you did not check out Friday's episode or if you did check out Friday's episode I did not get to every question on that show and there are, are several questions in addition to that on that leftover mailbag both of those went up on saturday so you can find those again on foulfans.com um that being said let's let's talk bleedy ray wilson and uh you know the falcons were able to extend him on a one-year veteran um or one-year extension and we've talked about this before where sort of the expectation is that for the most part, with Ty Sambrello being so far the one exception and, and, in my opinion, likely to be the only exception to this until at least we get a little bit closer to sort of uh, the middle of March when free agency starts, um, that the Falcons have basically all the quote-unquote extensions, all the uh, extensions that they've signed with Bleedy Ray Wilson and Bruce Carter and um, Stephen Means are sort of the guys that they can presumably get at one-year veteran minimum contracts. Uh, that's basically what the Falcons did last year with uh, Wilson. And from what I've heard, uh, that's exactly what they did with Means and Carter so far this year. And, uh, you know, I think Blee Ray had a, a solid season. We only got to see him on a limited basis. Those of you guys can re- recall sort of the hashtag inactive analysis that I would do um, several weeks where, you know, sort of the joke was that the Falcons were for a large portion of the season undefeated when they had nine defensive backs active and had lost every game when they had eight defensive backs active. And, you know, during that sort of five-game losing streak after the bye week, they made an effort 
to have only eight guys active for several weeks and you know it became a sort of a running joke there's like how i think i at some point the, the streak stopped but uh either that like arizona game or, or whatever the case may be or like the baltimore game where they, they might have had nine guys active or something um but I, I can't recall but uh it was sort of like attached to bleedy ray because he was often inactive last year when he did get opportunities to play last season uh, he did play well. He played 30 snaps. Um, but I, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people sort of talk about Bleedy Ray sort of being, you know, field promoted, as you might say, to being the fourth cornerback this upcoming season, which I think we need to pump the brakes on because I think the point I would make is Bleedy Ray was the sixth cornerback last year. Um, he did play, you know, again, 30 defensive snaps and played well in those snaps, made some plays in those opportunities. But I don't think that's enough to sort of flip the narrative on him because you got to remember we talked about this last year and one of the reasons why I was a big proponent of the Falcons drafting cornerback depth and, and relatively high in the draft was due to my belief that between Bleedy Ray Wilson and Justin Bethel that neither of those two guys were prepared to basically be a twisted ankle away uh, whether that happens to uh, Robert Alford as it actually did happen in 2018 or Brian Poole or Desmond Trufant basically a twisted ankle away from being the team's third cornerback. Because as you guys know, you know, a third cornerback, whoever your third cornerback is essentially a starter because he's going to wind up playing 65 to 75% of the snaps uh, on a weekly basis. And uh, neither Bethel, neither Bleedy Ray Wilson were guys that you really wanted to be in that sort of situation, which is why the Falcons is one of several reasons why the Falcons wound up drafting Isaiah Oliver because they needed to improve that. And I don't think that situation has changed just because Bleedy Ray had a couple of nice pass breakups last season um, as the fourth cornerback. So I suspect the Falcons will draft a, a, a fourth cornerback this year. That was one of the picks I projected in my uh, mock draft. I think I had uh, Corey Ballantyne uh, from Washburn as their one of their two fourth-round picks. Um, and, you know, the reason they have two is we'll talk about that later on today's episode. So I, I don't expect... Bleedy Ray Wilson to be higher than fifth on the depth chart inning training camp. Um, we'll sort of have to see if the Falcons, in addition to my very likely, I think it's, I won't say it's certain because nothing is certain when it comes to the Falcons and nothing is certain in the NFL. Um, but I would say it's probably like an 85 to 95% chance that the Falcons draft the cornerback this year. Um, the question is going to be, do they sign a veteran? And um, we'll we'll come back in a moment and, and talk about that, as well as sort of what their plans are at the cornerback position, and, and maybe how that may relate to some of their plans at the as far as their pass rush goes, in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to let you guys know about the Locked On NFL podcast with host Matt Williamson. Matt is back at it today for another great week of content where he brings you all the latest things from around the NFL. Uh, check that podcast out wherever you get your Locked On podcast, your team every day. So, uh, you know, I don't necessarily expect the Falcons to go out and get a veteran. Um, and part of that is due to the decision that the team is expected to make with in regards to Brian Poole and letting him be able to test free agency. Uh, as I've discussed on last week's, you know, Monday's episode, 
um, where the Falcons basically passed on tendering or expected to pass on tendering Brian Poole. Um, and the minimum tender of that is $2 million. And, of course, there's talk of, oh, the Falcons would want Brian Poole back at cheaper, but the chances of that seemingly happening is seems to be very, very low, um, extremely low, if you ask me. Um, and so it, it does sound like there's a possibility that the Falcons could be in the market for a veteran cornerback, but as long as he doesn't exceed $2 million because they think that's too expensive for Brian Poole, I think the likelihood of the Falcons being able to, to sign one of those guys or the likelihood that they would sign one of those guys is probably low as well. You look at the guys that typically, particularly last offseason, that signed for under $2 million. You have guys like Leedy Ray Wilson. Um, but for the most part, they tend to be split into two day categories. Uh, the, they are the sort of the special teams, primarily special teams guys like like a Justin Bethel, a Marcus Shirell, um or they're sort of the over-the-hill previous guys that are starters that are basically, you know, no one sees them as starters, but they're just bodies and camp bodies. And you had examples of that, like Leon Hall and Sharice Wright and Devon House last offseason. Um, and it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense from my perspective for the Falcons to want to bring in one of those guys at this point in time. Um, you know, maybe the special teams guy, because they did so last year with Justin Bethel. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think for the most part, I think the likelihood is the Falcons are going to probably use one of their early picks. And when I say early, I mean one of their picks in the first three or four rounds of the draft on a cornerback. I think there's a dark horse possibility that the Falcons could use their number one pick on that. Um, I think it's very unlikely, but I wouldn't sit here and, and rule out the possibility given the team's history of zigging when we think they're going to zag. Um, I think it's more likely that they'll probably wait to the third or fourth round to do so as I projected in uh, my most recent mock draft. Um, it's going to be interesting to sort of see how the Falcons approach this cornerback depth situation because it, it seems like, you know, to not mix my metaphors, but they're sort of pushing all their chips into the table or hitching their wagons um, to basically Isaiah Oliver and Demonte Casey based off of the moves so far uh, as far as being, you know, their outside starting outside corner and their nickel cornerback respectively. Um, and as someone who tends to be skeptical of all things Falcons, um, in, in many things in, in the game that we call life. Um, you know, I think there is some inherent risk to that decision of sort of basically going all in on Oliver and Casey. I think there's reasons to be optimistic because I think both of those guys are very talented players and we've seen at least flashes of their potential there. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of the question marks is going to be sort of what do the Falcons do to sort of maximize the, the chances of those guys coming in and, and playing at a reasonably high level in 2019. And what has been discussed on this podcast, um, and I'm sure many of you know, um, you know, over the last, you know, it's been discussed ad nauseum over the last six months, has been, you know, masking some of your coverage issues by having a good pass rush. Um, and so that's been something that we've talked about quite a bit uh, in terms of uh, improving the Falcons pass rush. And, you know, some of my skepticism sort of remains on how much improvement the Falcons will make this offseason. I think that's one of the big questions. Um, I've talked about previously sort of Arthur Blank's comments from January about, you know, when he was talking about the team's needs, he was talking about improving the run defense on the defensive line, not improving the pass rush. Um, you know, the idea that the Falcons, you know, you can argue that the idea that the Falcons are intending on keeping Vic Beasley suggests that they don't necessarily see an issue with their pass rush. 
um, and, and several other variables. But, you know, part of the reason um, I do think the Falcons will be proactive this offseason to upgrade their pass rush. I just don't know if they're going to be as sort of like gung ho. This is our number one priority or this is our number two priority this offseason. Um, and that's based in part off of my expectations that they will retain Vic Beasley, that they're probably not going to spend um, what little money they have in free agency on sort of this big name free agent that's going to definitely move the needle. Uh, you know, a Brandon Graham, uh, a Ziggy Ansah, um, you know, we'll have to sort of see. Those are some of the names that immediately popped to my head that I've seen other people talk about. Um, Gerald McCoy, who now recent reports are suggesting that the Buccaneers intend on keeping him. You know, I've talked about Malik Jackson previously, you know, Trey Flowers, whatever. Whoever they, whoever you're thinking of as, oh, that guy would be a massive upgrade to our pass rush, I remain skeptical that the Falcons are going to really pursue that person. And then I, you know, couple that also with my skepticism on whether or not Ed Oliver, who, you know, I would argue is one of the three best prospects in this draft, is going to be available to them at pick 14, as so many mock drafts seem to be currently projecting. Um, you know, some people might label all of that sort of negativity. Um, I, I call it skepticism. I call it being a Falcon fan for two decades and, and knowing that things don't often sort of work out in the team's favor. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, it does seem like the Falcons will, you know, I think they will draft pass rushers. I, I, as I, in my mock draft, I had them taking an edge rusher in the first round. Um, so it's not to say that they won't add anybody. As I've mentioned before, I think they're going to probably sign a veteran to sort of fill the Brooks Reed role. And hopefully that will be a player that can bring a little bit more juice as a pass rusher than Brooks Reed did last year. But I don't expect the Falcons to go out there and drop nine or $10 million, which is probably going to be the going rate for a lot of these guys that are going to be, you know, that are the quote unquote proven pass rushers. I don't expect that sort of the Falcons to spend that type of money, um, you know, uh, in, in terms of, of getting that type of guy. Um, so I, I do think the Falcons more than likely are probably going to be relying a little heavily on, on their current players to sort of really move the needle forward in their, in the 2019 season in terms of improving the pass rush. And I, you know, as I've suggested on previous episodes, I do think that's a relative to the, basically that same decision in 2018. I think doing that in 2019 is a better bet than it was a year ago, largely due to my belief in, in, in relative cautious optimism uh, that Tack McKinley is probably going to make a much bigger jump this season than he was expect, should have been expected to make last season. Um, but, you know, I, I say all that because I'm skeptical and, you know, I, I tend to set my expectations relatively low. Uh, as I said, you know, I think that comes with the territory of of being a Falcon fan for many, many years. Um, just, you know, let set them low and let the Falcons come in and, and, and surprise you. There's nothing better than I would love to sit here in, in two weeks from now you know, when we get to the uh, legal tampering period on, on March 11th, uh, that Monday, uh, before free agency starts. Um, and be talking about how, you know, the r- rumors that the Falcons are going after Everson Griffin if he winds up getting cut by Minnesota or Brandon Graham or, or whoever, Preston Smith or Shaq Barrett or whatever. Look, guys, there's nothing better in this world than the idea, the possibility of me doing a, a Locked On Falcons podcast where we get to talk about that thing. I would love to talk about those things. I just don't expect it to happen. That's all I'm sitting here saying. So we'll have to sort of see. Um, how that goes. I think the, the, the three things that I think are in favor of sort of my, let's say, we'll not call it pessimism. We'll call it 
uh, cynical skepticism, I guess, <laughs> about how active the Falcons are going to be with upgrading their pass rushes is basically their history, that they, that's just not how they have typically operated in the Dan Quinn era. The fact that they're going to probably have limited cap space due to the fact that whether great, what is due to Grady Jarrett getting a contract extension in the next two weeks or getting the franchise tag, um, you know, a sizable chunk of their cap space, you know, 10 to 15 million is going to get eaten up by Grady Jarrett this year. So that, you know, all the current projections, which have the Falcons with about, you know, 25 ish billion to spend that I've seen, um, you know, subtract 10 to 15 million from that. And that's what their actual cap space is. And so that's going to be a limiting factor on, I think, you know, some of their spending. And the simple fact that during that Super Bowl media blitz, Thomas Dimitrov basically said that that their their plan was not to spend a, a ton of money or make some big splash moves or anything like that. So that's why I tend to be a little bit skepticism uh, or a little bit skeptical. But we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see how it goes. Right now, I don't know what, how what's going to happen. But, um, you know, I'm eagerly anticipating... Um, you know, it's funny because it's like we get to that tampering period, uh, you know, those two days before uh, free agency technically starts. And you'll see, you know, the, the Ian Rappaports and the Adam Schefters and, and the Jay Glazers and all these people. Uh, Chris Mortensen's reporting on, you know, who's going where and who's going where. And year, consistently year after year, the Falcons sort of sit out that whole period of time outside of like the 2016 year where they went after Alex Mack. And we, we knew that they were getting Alex Mack by the time the league year started. Um, but for the most part, they kind of just are twiddling their thumbs. And it's just always hilarious to me to sort of watch people on Twitter sort of just like, just, you know, ripping their shirts, uh, you know, just of, of whatever that term is like, just going crazy over like, why are the Falcons not doing this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they do this every year, guys. Like I'm not sitting here saying I'm happy about it. I'm just sitting here saying this is part of the reason why it's like you set your expectations low, let them come in and surprise you as opposed to being like every year you set yourself, oh, they're going to go out and get this guy. They're going to get this guy. They're going to pay this type of money and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And it's like, and they do none of it, right? You know, that's part of the whole, my whole thing with with the draft. It's like, everybody's like, oh, we're going to get in Oliver and we're going to get this guy and we're going to get this guy. And it's like, and then draft comes around, they throw you a curveball. You know, they zig when we think they're going to zag. And it's like, just learn to adjust your expectations. That's what many years, you know, I always introduce this. I've been covering the Falcons for many years at FalFans.com. Many years of covering the Falcons has sort of taught me that lesson. And so, you know, you still got a a couple of young whippersnappers uh, that are out there that still haven't learned that lesson. But they'll they'll get there eventually. You know, they'll be just as jaded and cynical as I am (laughs) one day. Um, but you know, it, it, we'll we'll sort of turn our attention to the comp picks uh, coming up in, in just a moment. But since we're talking about you know draft picks, teams getting awarded draft picks, why don't you guys reward yourselves by heading over and checking out the two draft related podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network? They are the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast with hosts John Ledger and Trevor Sigma. The other one is the Draft News Podcast with hosts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino. Find them wherever you get your Locked On podcasts, as well as at thedraftnetwork.com, where you can find written and video content written by those four guys, as well as several others, uh, your team every day. So, um, you know, we talked about this on previous episodes, overthecap.com. 
was projecting the Falcons to get a fourth and a fifth round uh, compensatory pick. And for those of you that aren't familiar with compensatory picks, they are basically rewarded to teams that lose compensatory free agents, which we'll discuss a little bit in further detail. But basically, if you know if you lose a, a big time free agent and you have basically a net loss of big time free agents, then you have the opportunity to potentially get rewarded with comp picks the following year. So in the Falcons case, they were projected to get a fourth round pick for losing Don Terry Poe last offseason and a fifth round pick for losing Taylor Gabriel last offseason. If you're wondering, like, what about Adrian Claiborne? Basically, the way the formula works is that the Falcons losing Adrian Claiborne would have gotten them a comp pick, but the fact that they signed Brandon Fusco sort of canceled that out. So that's what we mean when it's a sort of a net loss of players. Um, and so now, you know, contrary to what I said on a recent Q&A when someone asked, um, I think it was Zamir Sabanovich asked uh, about how many picks we have. We do have nine. Uh, I made the mistake of, of saying we had eight because I was basing it previously off of what Over the Cap had said, which it seemed to be that they were sort of projecting the Falcons to lose their seventh round pick due as part of the condition of the trade to get Jordan Richards, which originally that trade was reported as a conditional 2020 seventh round pick. But it seemed like based off of what Over the Cap was saying, that one of the conditions was if Jordan Richards played a certain amount of snaps or started a certain amount of games for the Falcons, that would be pushed up into a 2019 pick. Um, Now, the NFL has sort of released the official draft order and over the cap has updated their draft order to indicate that the Falcons aren't losing their 2019 draft pick. Instead, they're going to lose their 2020 draft pick as originally reported. So they do have nine picks this year. They currently are slated to have six picks in 2020. Uh, so if there was any confusion on that regard, I apologize for that. Uh, you know, you know, you got to trust your sources, right? Um, so, you know, that's basically all there is to say about the comp pick. Um, but, you know, I have to be long-winded and, and have other things. And I got a hot take. I think the NFL should get rid of comp picks. All right. Um, I think that's one of the things that they should get rid of. You know, if I could basically be part of the next collective, the next negotiation for the collective bargaining agreement, which is coming up in, what, two years, um, I would basically, let's get rid of comp picks and let's just add uh, an, an eighth round to the draft. And you, you would still have the same amount of draft picks. You just wouldn't reward uh, comp picks. I, I think comp picks are sort of a relic of a bygone era, particularly an era pre this current uh, collective bargaining agreement that was signed in 2011. But I think basically what has happened is teams have basically figured out the formula. And again, several fans have been able to figure out the formula because you have sites like Over the Cap that, you know, and as well as others over the last decade that have been basically able to, with relative accuracy, project who's going to get uh, what picks year in and year out. So if, if, you know, some regular schmo on his couch can figure it out, then certainly, you know, given all the the money that NFL teams possess and the, the resources they have, they can also figure it out. And as an aside to that, I think Over the Cap's projections were about 90% accurate uh, if judging based off of, you know, being able to project accurately the correct round pick to the correct team uh, this past season, which generally those projections have generally been like 80, 85 percent or better uh, in my uh, experience. So basically, teams have been able to work out the formula. Baltimore and Ozzie Newsom have basically done been famous for doing this. And, and basically, um, you know, one of the ways that t- teams have figured out to get around the comp pick for you, go, and Arizona's b- b- been doing this the last couple of weeks, is if you sign cut players, 
like Arizona's done with Robert Alford and Brooks Reed and Charles Clay in recent weeks, that they don't count towards the formula. Only true free agents do. And like, I'm not going to go through all the tips and tricks that teams use, but again, like the formula that, you know, again, Ozzie Newsom sort of made this famous and other teams have basically followed suit is that you, you know, you use your mid round picks, you get good players, you get four years of cheap talent, cheap starting labor, you let them walk in free agent for premium dollars, and then you get back more mid round picks and then you basically replace them and you just basically have the steady pipeline. And obviously, as I describe it, it's like, oh, that's genius and that works great. And why would you want to get rid of that? Um, and it's because I think, you know, as it was originally designed to do, it was designed to basically help out sort of smaller market teams back in the day when, you know, the salary cap was a much bigger obstacle than what it is to that, you know, where the current projection for 2019 is, is 190 million in 2020, it's going to be probably, you know, over 200 million, 205 or something. And then we'll find out sort of what the next uh, collective bargaining agreements, but you're talking about like two years from now, it's going to be like 225 million. And I can remember days where it was like, you know, under a hundred million dollars back. Certainly when they wound up came, it was well shy of a hundred million dollars back in the days when they first came up with sort of the whole comp pick formula. And the idea behind it was like, Oh, there's, you know, there's, the salary cap is this huge obstacle, which it isn't anymore. When was the last time you've ever heard of a team being in, in cap purgatory, really? Like, obviously, you, you know, a team like the Falcons, you have to navigate it. It's not as, as they say, it's, but it's more of a speed bump. It's more of a speed hump, so to speak, um, rather than an actual barrier like it used to be. And then, you know, back in the day, because of that, and you didn't have these super lucrative billion dollars worth of, of TV contracts, there was a disparity between a smaller market team and a big market team. And certain teams could spend and other teams couldn't. It was like how baseball used to be, um, which, you know, Moneyball has sort of equalized that uh, to a large extent over the last, you know, several decades. But, um, you know, it, it used to be sort of the haves and the have-nots. And there was a real legitimate risk for some of the have-nots to potentially lose some of their free agents because they couldn't afford to keep them. And that was why where the league came up with this rule is like, oh, this is all with the idea of parity. And the reality is that most, for the most part, the teams that are able to take advantage of this aren't the teams that really need it. It's teams like Baltimore that have been able to sort of sustain the success and be consistent, New England, et cetera, that have been able to be successful for many years because this is sort of an extra way of sort of getting a competitive edge on your opponents. And the teams that do need it like the Clevelands and the Jacksonvilles are then sort of the teams that don't draft well, uh, basically didn't get a lot of money because they're not paying, you know, their current guys. And so they get a lot of free agency and then they have to go out there and spend all their cap space in order to, um, you know, fill up their roster. And so therefore they're not ever having a net loss of free agents and whatnot. So I think the comp thing is, is sort of run its course. I know, you know, that's a hot take to many people because it's like, you know, the Falcons are potentially going to be rewarded with comp picks in, in the next couple of years, potentially losing guys like Tevin Coleman, Brian Poole, Bruce Irvin, Matt Bryant this year. They're going to be part of the formula. We'll have to sort of see, um, you know, and again, this is another reason why you can somewhat expect the Falcons to sort of, you know, drag their feet a little bit in free agency uh, so that they don't necessarily disrupt their comp pick chances. Then you have guys like what? Uh, Devondre Campbell next year. I, I think Jones and, and Neal and Hooper are going to get second contracts from the Falcons, but you never know. 
Um, and then the following year, who, who's who's coming up? Who's our 2017 guy? Well, I don't think Duke Riley's going to get paid. Um, you know, Schweitzer could get paid next offseason as well. Uh, he's a free agent. Um, we'll have to sort of see how it goes. But basically the, the argument I'm, I'm making is, you know, for the Falcons, getting rid of the comp picks um, is not necessarily lucrative because they got a whole bunch of guys potentially coming up. Getting those comp picks back is going to be worthwhile to the Falcons specifically, largely due to the fact that they're going to have to be selective with who they pay, and thus they're going to let some of their talent walk over the next couple of off seasons, and then they're going to need those third, fourth, fifth round picks to get some of the, to sort of replenish their talent a little bit. Um, and I know so that's one of the reasons why I, I termed it a hot take because I know most people will sort of listen to my explanation for that and be like, no, you know, I you know, I just think the general sort of way that the, the formula has been used is, is more detrimental and just, you know, just make it, give it eight rounds. Like that's, that's a simple fix. Don't let teams be able to game the system as they have, because when you look at, you go back, you go to like a site, like over the cap um, that has all the players that were rewarded formulas. The vast majority of those guys weren't guys that teams were desperately trying to keep. Like, for example, like I think the Falcons want to keep Tevin Coleman, but they're not desperate. They're not going to get into a bidding war to keep Tevin Coleman, they're going to be like, well, you know, we're going to get like a third or fourth round pick or, or whatever, a fifth round pick for him next year. And so there's no real incentive for us to try to keep him. Like, again, this is what it originally was designed. It's, it's similar to sort of the franchise tag in my eyes, where you have a large percentage of teams, if not the majority of teams. And again, I know the Falcons are the exception to this. So again, this is why it's a hot take, but I, I think they should get rid of the franchise tag as well at the next CBA as well. But the vast majority of teams with the, when it comes to the franchise tag don't use it because they, the original design of the franchise tag was to prevent you from losing your best players. But most teams just use it to get relatively, I won't say cheap labor because it's certainly not cheap, but it's basically without committing long-term money, right? Because if you're going to pay most of the guys that get franchise tagged, if they were able to sign long-term contracts, those contracts would be guaranteed for the first, you know, three or more years of their deals. And the franchise tag is basically one year guaranteed. And so you can just basically play it by ear. And if the player has a down year, as we saw with Brent Grimes, when he got hurt in 2012, playing under the franchise tag, then you can just like, oh, you can just wash your hands of the player. Scott-free. And you, I think you'll see several examples of this, this upcoming offseason with guys like D. Ford who it sounds like the Chiefs are planning on tagging, but I don't think the Chiefs have any intention of giving D. Ford a long-term contract uh, in the calendar year of uh, 2019. They're just going to basically tag him, let him play out this year. If he has a another sort of monster season like he had in 2018, then they'll think about paying him next offseason. If he doesn't, then they'll just let him walk and take a comp pick, a third-round comp pick, to replace him uh, in, in 2021. So, Again, I think these are things that the the, the league should do away with. Uh, again, if I was in part of the negotiating, it would be part of my my strategy. Um, but uh, we still got a couple more years before that. Even if that actually happened, which it, it there's probably like a two percent chance of it actually happening. Um, it, you know, that's not going to happen until like 2021, 2022. So don't necessarily worry about the Falcons losing comp picks in, in the near future, or you know not being able to keep Grady Jarrett because Aaron's sitting here saying, get rid of the franchise tag. That's not going to affect many of the current players. It's we're talking about. That's going to affect, you know, the guys that will probably be drafting this year 
or whatever. It'll affect Calvin Ridley on his next contract negotiation, not necessarily any of the other guys we drafted prior to that. So just hot takes from Aaron to leave you out with on this Monday episode. We'll be back to talk a little bit of combine stuff later this week um, and other topics. And uh, you guys know where to hit me up if you have feedback that you want to provide me on my various hot takes and opinions. Or if you just want to ask questions and get them answered on future episodes of the podcast, you can do so on Twitter or Facebook. Of course, the address is Locked on Falcons. The email address, if you hate social media, is LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com. And then you can leave a comment at FileFans.com where the podcast is posted daily. And again, go check out FileFans.com to get that additional content. Another piece of content that will be coming up later this week is a combine preview where I will basically be breaking down all the uh, sort of measurements and drills and whatnot that the Falcons typically favor. I um, wrote something to this like at Lockdown Falcons last offseason. Uh, unfortunately, Lockdown Falcons, due to other circumstances, is no longer exist. If you go to LockdownFalcons.com, it will just redirect you to the sort of podcast page. Um, but, uh, you know, I will put it up at FalcFans.com. Uh, with a little bit more of an update now that we have the 2018 draft to sort of include in that data. Um, so look forward to that. That should be, I'm hoping to drop that on Wednesday because I think that's the first day where players report to the combine. Um, so look for that at fans.com. Until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.